Welcome to episode 91 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I am Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times, here as always with Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Hoops Report. We're back. Sorry about last week. It's all my fault. We actually recorded the entire episode, and I muted it because I've been very sick and I've been hacking, and I didn't want everyone to have to hear my hacking, and I never unmuted it, so we have an hour of Joe. (laughs) And none with, of me. With long pauses. Yes, I did have someone tell me that I just should have put that up. <laughs> and they said it would have been kind of hilarious and fun. No <laughs> feedback. Just, just Joe going. Back up again. I still have the recording, so maybe someday, you know, when this is a legendary podcast, that can be our B-sides. <laughs> or some uh, unreleased footage. of uh, 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 Outtake with the yes. shot clock. I felt, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I felt even worse that day, and I'm trying to put this together. I'm like, all I got to do is edit this podcast, and I can rest. <laughs> and I call it up, and I'm like, what? It was, it's bad. And you could still hear some sniffles when you were uh, in the middle of it anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, uh, I am not going to mute it today. I'm still hacking. <laughs> so, I'm going to get as far away from this microphone as possible, but I don't trust myself, so... Apologies in advance for it. I'm still not doing well. If you guys have wondered where the notebooks are, I have just not been able to function, um, and that's the thing that's had to be cut. So hopefully I'll be back as soon as possible. Because, um, man, there's been a lot happening. But um, So today we're going to – a bunch of questions. Thanks for those. We're going to get to those. Um, Joe was quite pleased with them as well. So we got some good I questions. Like, yeah. Some old-school questions too. I like those. Yeah. And then we will break down our two takes – and then we're going to have a subject that I know everyone is going to love. Public League dominance. We're going to break it down because it's just, it, it, it's brutal at this point how much better the Public League is than everybody else and the domination that's going on this season. We'll look at it historically a little bit, talk about why and how and what and all that. So, sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it. I, uh, and if... For all of us non-CPS, non-public league loving listeners, there's a there's a easy way to end this this all this CPS talk. Beat them. <laughs> It'll really help. Uh, anyway, all right, let's uh, start it up here. We've got Isaiah Alicia. It says, hey, Michael, a couple questions I have. Do you think this is the most competitive the public league has been league-wide in years? This has to be the most intriguing public league playoffs in a long time, right? It's up for grabs. Well, this uh, brings up, you know, I, I've been out of it a bit. I, I would have had the CPS playoff bracket nailed down by now. I pretty much know what it is. I've broken the ties. I have had no one officially like, and it has not been sent out to the coaches yet. So I don't know it officially. And there's, so the reason I haven't put it up is there's always one or two changes that we don't know about where there were forfeits that no one told us about. And that changes somehow who finished ninth or 10th. And so it, there, I always see that because we would just won't know that somebody didn't show up. We'll get something wrong. So that's why I haven't quite pulled the trigger on putting it out there yet. But we basically know the layout of it. We'll get into that next week and talk about it in depth, you know, once it's out and before it starts. But overall, what do you think, Joe? Do you think this is um, a notably competitive CPS tournament? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, – I think the – I think the winners, the, the, the regular guys that win usually are going to win their opening round games. But I do feel like even those games are going to be a little bit more competitive 
than we've seen in the past. Because some of the things we've talked about, some of those bottom half teams in the the two power conferences are are, are formidable, you know. And uh, we've seen a Corliss beat a Simeon. We've seen uh, some of these schools that have. So just in that regard, I think it's going to be more competitive uh, from the get go. But yeah, I mean Curie. Curie's a favorite, and uh, in my mind, and and I mean, I, I guess the way to answer that, Mike, is this: How many teams can you count that you truly believe can win the city? Yeah, that's what I was doing because when I first saw this question, I didn't know how on board with it I was. But I mean, Curie, yes, Bogan, yes, yes. Morgan Park, yes, Young, uh, yes, Young, yes, Simeon. Yeah, I could see them doing it. I wouldn't be shocked if they won it. Uh, That's five. I think Lincoln Park and Orr could do it. So, yeah, I'm with Isaiah here. I I believe it. I mean, I've seen Orr. They did not look great against Young. I I was pretty down on them after that. I was more shocked they lost Springfield Lanphier because they really struggled with Lanphier. Yeah, that's... um... So they, they did not have a good weekend, but headed into the weekend, I was really high on Orr because I'd seen them play very well. And, I mean, Lincoln Park's beaten Young. You know, so, I mean, there's no doubt they could pull it off. Uh, you know, they got a, their road, as well, you know, it's a little early to talk about this, is a bit of a mess. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, my thing is that we, we, I, there's been a lot of years where it hasn't gotten past three or four teams where you would say, yes, yeah, you know, Young or Simeon or Young, Simeon, and Curie or Morgan Park and Simeon. You know, it'd be, you know, it's very rarely did it stretch beyond a handful of teams. So, yeah, I, I guess I'll agree. It's, it's, it's wide open. Plus the depth of it. I think some of the opening round games are going to be a little bit more competitive than what we, we've seen in the past. Yeah, this opening round, the matchups didn't work out great if they are what I think they are for any – there wasn't – like usually I'll see two games and I'll be like, oh, those could be definite upsets. I didn't feel that quite as strongly the way it worked out. But the second round, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. I mean, Simeon against Lane, even if they're against Prosser, but Simeon Lane, oh boy, look out. Um, that could be something. You know, you're going to have – I mean, who wants to play Corliss at this point? You know, we haven't talked about them at all on the podcast, but look, they beat Simeon and they almost beat Morgan Park. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and they played some other teams tough too. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's they, they took a while to come around this year. That's why they're not in the rankings. They just don't have the overall resume. But if you had to list a top twenty-five teams right now, <laughs> based on who to play, I mean, yeah, Corliss I mean, they, would be I in don't there. know how the game went, but they they only lost to Curie by eleven. You know. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, that's uh, that's what I mean. I mean, there's it's going to be interesting to see kind of how some of those early round games go. All right, next up, Boom Boom Jackson. Uh, I think it's the second time uh, Boom Boom has asked a question here. So welcome back, Boom Boom says some shootouts are very good, have an atmosphere, a quality gym, have quality players and teams. The truth is most have no atmosphere and lack the quality players and teams. So why are we seeing so many shootouts? I feel like teams would get more out of playing traditional home-and-home games with non-conference opponents than playing in a shootout that isn't the Chicago Elite Classic, when sides collide, Team Rose shootout, etc. Do you agree? I've thought about that, Boom Boom. Uh, First of all, just as somebody kind of assembles and puts together a shootout, I mentioned when sides collide, they're not as easy as as one would, would think to put together, um, 
it's not really a, it's just a matter of kind of throwing teams together. Hey, we'll play this game of these days. It, it, it does take – I mean, I can't believe how much time it takes, to be honest with you. Just some teams playing this team and some team not wanting to play that team or, you know, the, the, their schedule and working with that. But So putting it together also involves the people who are putting it together in terms of relationships and, and, and established connections with people to draw teams in. So it, it is hard to kind of put together great – shootouts i think um but yeah i mean some of without mentioning them without trying to kill them on a podcast publicly yeah i i've wondered why certain like particularly when a really really good team just goes to a random shootout that's not going to have any media coverage evaluators good games atmosphere i have wondered that um i get without going to specific events that are out there but I, I i i guess i'm saying i agree i, I don't understand i mean the, the purpose of them is to to showcase teams to, to be honest I mean, otherwise why wouldn't you just play a home game uh but if they're there if they aren't getting the attention they aren't getting you know what you want out of it in that regard i i guess i don't know why either some of those exist to be honest yeah i'm okay I, with I, it yeah i i'm I, as someone who goes to a shootout pretty much every weekend at this point, um, you know, and I, Boom Boom's right, though. A lot of them don't have great atmosphere. A lot of the ones that even have good lineups. And, you know, sometimes this season, especially, has been because of the weather. You know, there was not some of the – with good teams, he, they meet all of Boom Boom's criteria here. Great gym, great players, great teams. But there was no good atmosphere. And I think a lot of that this year was because of the weather. Um I don't like the huge ones, but at three or four games in a cool high school gym, I'm okay with. Like East Aurora this Saturday. Yeah, I, I I again, I like the majority of them. I, I, I was kind of referring to Boom Boom's question about specifically would they get more out of playing a home and a home? I, I tend than than some of these other shootouts, and to me. I would agree. I, I would, and again, I, I'd have to go back and try to find a specific one. And, yeah, but I think that they wouldn't get to play that team in a home and home. In most cases. Well, yeah, but there are shootouts, Mike. Though that where a really good team is playing not a really good team. I mean, I, I, there's there's a number of shootouts that I don't even understand the games. Oh yeah, but I think so. That, that that's what I'm talking. He's talking about the. Very low end shootout with a really good team playing. Why are they playing this game? And, and I get that. I don't get those either. I think because they have trouble filling their schedule would be my answer. Well, this year in part. Well, that's yeah. one answer to the question too. Is this year in particular? I I think I talked about this in a podcast. Yeah. More shootouts than I've ever seen, without question. But part of that is because of the thirty-one game schedule. They it is now. If anybody's listening, they change the schedule. The IHSA, how you can schedule games uh, from X amount of tournaments to X amount of games and all this that you can play in a season. And now it's just a, a random number, 31 games. So you've got to fill 31 games. So let's say if you play in a conference of you know, 12 conference games and then a Christmas tournament Thanksgiving with seven games, that's 19 games. You're sitting there looking at trying to fill 12 non-conference games. So... Uh, yeah, that's that's part of the reason. Yes, and then you look at the 
especially CPS teams, you got a Morgan Park, Lincoln Park, you know, several others. They're not going to play these home. They don't have any stands. You know, th- there's no point in them playing home and homes. So they wind up at every shootout you see <laughs> because that's how they fill their schedule. You know, th- they're much better off going and playing at, you know, midnight at the or shootout <laughs> than having a home game where, you know, 100 people can come. So for a lot of the smaller, and there's a lot of good CPS teams with really small gyms. And so they wind up at every shootout you see. So I think that's another reason where it just makes sense for them. Um, Okay, next up, Earl Harvey. Earl said, there's a lot of talent in the state of Illinois, but not McDonald's All-American type talent. Why is that? Why is that type talent leaving the state for high school now? Yeah, that's the, I mean, this is not just this year, it's a trend we've seen that's bucks the trend of three decades straight of pretty much having multiple McDonald's All-Americans per year. We've made note of it. I've written about it. The number of players in the last six years, I've got the numbers, Mike, um, from, I don't know, I'm guessing here again, the years, but from 2016 through the class of 2019, I believe, I've got 16 Division One players who have left Illinois, um, including now we got a McDonald's All-American, Cleo Whitney, who left the state, played here as a freshman at Solario, and guys like Namari Burnett and Sean Robinson, uh, both top 100 guys. Uh, Malik Hall played at Matia Valley, left to go to prep school. So why they're leaving, uh, there are a boatload of reasons that there's not one singular issue, I don't think. Um, but yeah, they're leaving like never before. And we haven't had an influx of of guys here and there. We've had a transfer in not a lot of high impact out of state transfers of late. So my concern more has always been with the depth as opposed to just even the high level guys. But, uh, yeah, that's, it's definitely a trend and it doesn't seem to be stopping. I mean, yeah, I think. I mean, for those not following closely, um, the team was announced last week. And, you know, we didn't get anybody again. I actually went to look because I think all of those things are true. But I I will say that actually when I went back and looked at the list, I think we're also losing a political game as well. Because just because of the way, you know... the way these kids get picked and the way you have to establish yourself early, because we have had players the last three years that are better than players we had that were McDonald's All-Americans on several occasions. You know, I don't know how much you want to call out these kids, but I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that we have had players the last two years that were better high school players than Mike Dunnigan and Michael Thompson. Well, Michael, you're an outlier there. I don't want to kill on Michael Thompson, but he's, I he's mean, a Joliet guy. <laughs> yeah. One of the worst McDonald's All-Americans. Uh, yeah, know, but, but I mean, I'm just saying, you look at, um, and I mean, even Bobby Frazier, sorry, Bobby. <laughs> I mean, he was a very good high school player, but I'd take Alonzo Verge and Marquise Jacobs with him, personally. I mean, I, I think if things had worked out a little differently for some of these kids... I think we maybe could have wound up with with one uh, in these three. Yeah, years I, I'm trying to think of one who's just absolutely. I mean, 
I, uh, you know, I mean, that was just completely, compl- no doubt about it. I'm trying to think of somebody who was completely, completely left off that shouldn't have been snubbed. Oh, well, Boatwright, but that was a while ago, but not these three years. Um, he's the one that immediately comes to my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, but the, the criteria, this goes to your political part. I mean, so much of it's based on summer and it has really nothing to do with their senior year. I mean, hardly anybody makes a push for their senior year. And then, I mean, if you're not ranked in the top 30, 35, I mean, your your chances of making it are slim to none. So, you know, and Boatwright wasn't didn't have anything in the summer going and wasn't, wasn't ranked. Wasn't top 100. <laughs> wasn't even ranked. So, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, again, I, I don't – I'm not as when we talk about the depleted state of high school basketball players in our state, my, mine has not been necessarily about McDonald's All Americans. It's been more about the lack of a high majors overall, because like you said, the, the political part of the McDonald's All American game is, is is very very prevalent. But a the lack of high major players and b just the lack of depth of Division One players. And I know mo- the average fan. Looking at it doesn't know the difference because maybe they do. Hey, it doesn't seem like I'm seeing as many good players. <clears throat> I, and I wouldn't just because of the – I just only know that because of what I have on my computer that I go and look at and see my list of Division One signees. And it's just – we don't have – I mean, we're, we're, we're hovering at 25, 30, 34, 30. Those are the numbers of Division One players, and that was not the case for so many years. So yeah. that that's – the disconcerting part for me when it comes to overall talent, the lack of high level players as well as the depth. I mean, even, I mean, Wayne Blackshear wasn't standout better than some kids we've had the last three years. Iman Shumpert's senior year was not standout better than kids we've had. I mean, he had some big fans of influential national people that turned out to be right. I mean, clearly he's in the NBA, but but just based on high school career, I, I'm just saying about half these guys in the last 10 years aren't necessarily that much better than some of the players the last that we've had the last three. They just haven't had the proper progression in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, if specifically last year, the two come to I me, mean, Ayodesumu was on the bubble. No question. He was yeah. right there. Taylor Horan Tucker was not because of his ranking. Uh, and then this year, EJ Liddell, right there on the bubble. But again, the ranking not in the top. You know, he's a top fifty type prospect, but uh, it's just again, it, it, it's you know, and some of those guys you named before. Look at some of those schools they went to, uh, Duke, yeah, North, North Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but yeah, so I mean, I think it's both things. I, it, kind of the old cliche: it's never as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. <laughs> Um, next up here is Marshall Flex. I have no idea if that is a real person's name or not, <laughs> but um, Marshall Flex says, uh, right now, Curie is a dominant team. They have everything a team can ask for. Do you see anyone stopping them? If so, why and how? I mean, I don't, first of all, Curie has had an amazing season. I did not see this coming. I did not expect this. So clearly, what do I know? I do not think there's any way you could say they have everything a team could ask for. Um, they're clearly lacking a big man. 
um, which is a bit of a problem. And even more so, kind of, they don't have a rim protector. Even, like, you know, that 6364 leaper kid who kind of does that. Um, their, their leapers aren't really concerned with that overall. Um, so that would be kind of the, I would say that that is their weakness. And I just think, I would be shocked if they actually ran through and won the city. And they're going to love hearing that. <laughs> but to me, I just feel like it, it's high school basketball. And I don't, I just feel like they're due for a lull here. And for their state tournament hopes, a lull coming now would probably not be the worst thing uh, in the world either, I would say, if they kind of lost in the semis or, you know, something in the city tournament. But I feel like some other teams are really starting to fire on all cylinders now much better than when they first played Curie. And I think that that kind of public league mojo of it's really hard to beat a team twice in a row is going to come back to get them. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with the topic that's been discussed and written about in that if someone loses this year, it, it, I'm just not stunned or shocked. And that includes Curie. I, mean, I, I think Curie has proven up till the late, Jan, late January, two-plus months of the season, that they're, they've played <laughs> they're the, best, they're the best team right now. And they've, they've kind of proven that, I think. But I, it just doesn't – it's not going to shock me if, if, if Curie loses, um, even despite them, what I'm saying right there, that they're the best team. Yeah, Curie has not played young yet, the uh, preseason number one. We haven't seen that. I mean, they beat Orr by nine back when Orr didn't have half their starters early in the year. They trounced Morgan Park and definitely their most impressive performance of the year. And I'm going to talk a little about Morgan Park lately. I think both of those teams are way different. They've had close games with Simeon twice. So having to beat them a third time would be a nightmare. Um, And the Bogan game was only an eight-point win, but Curie was a lot more dominant in it than that. So it'll be interesting to see. It's it's really hard, as Joe said. We have a lot of parity now, and beating any publicly team high level twice in a row is tough. So I, I don't think it would be a shocker if they went down, Marshall. Um, Ron is up next. Who was better at Crane, Sharon Collins or Will Bynum? Collins was obviously amazing, but Bynum is a top five most athletic guard to ever come out of Chicago, and he also put up insane numbers. I lean towards Collins. Thoughts? That's his first part. He's got a second one. What do you think? You a Sharon Collins or Will Bynum man, Joe? Uh, I mean... I, I gotta go, Sharon. Uh, I, I I thought he was just at his peak in high school when he really truly brought it was more dominated than Will Bynum. Uh, I thought Will was a little bit more could be a little bit more flashier at times. Um, and I loved Will's college. I mean, as a college player, he was fun. With Sharon. Yeah, Sharon Collins. Long story. I mean, short here. I'm picking Sharon. Yeah, I agree 100%. Bynum, like when you say flashy, Bynum had some shows that were just like, I mean, he it was kind of, and people loved going to watch him because you never knew when you were going to get that just crazy, amazing game. He was he was quite the um, attraction, <laughs> shall we say. Yeah, um, and then I was at a shootout, speaking of shootout, I think it was, I think it was the old, uh, Patavia's Night of Hoops, I think. And I think I went four minutes where Will Bynum didn't cross half court. Where he just just showed, I mean, you're, you're looking for the show, and I'm talking about him, and you know, tell all the suburban fans when you see the show he's gonna put on, <laughs> and he just was a, a a dog that night, and kind of lazy and didn't play hard. It was it was really disappointing, but yeah, he he, he but he had moments where it was electric. 
Um, Sharon Conley, and, and both of them really had to share the spotlight, which was interesting. You know, Sharon always had Derrick Rose kind of right there in his face, and Bynum had Dockery, um, which in a way might have helped having those big-time foils too, but um, boy, fun times. <laughs> Next, uh, second question Ron had, he said, uh, secondly, also a throwback, is Sean Dockery the most talented player of the last 20 years to come out of Chicago and fail to make a big impact at the next level. He had NBA talent, but it was completely wasted at Duke. I'm still not over it. And this is, this is, this might be the greatest sentence ever sent to us. Are you ready? Uh, Ron says, perhaps I should seek therapy, but this podcast is more affordable. (laughs) (laughs) I, I agree with part of it, disagree with part of it, just because I, one there there's yes for the hype the ranking the attention that was bestowed upon sean dockery and then the lack of superlatives we could say about his college career yes i mean that there's very few publicly guys they're out there there's here and there i mean you know ronnie fields obviously come to mind but that's you know a lot of people blame the injury things like that jamie brandon at king was probably number one in my mind. If you would have told me Jamie Brandon wasn't going to have, I would say an all-American college career, I would have no way would I believe it. Uh, that's going beyond twenty years. But for whatever, and I'm not, I'm not saying he wasn't a great player and wasn't talented. I just was never as huge a John Dockery fan as I guess everybody else was. Um, that that's just me. I um well, first off. Wasn't Dockery a starter on the national championship winning team? Yeah, but I mean... He, he didn't score. He really didn't have a great college career. I mean, but he was a, he didn't play much freshman and sophomore year, but he was a starter on the team that finished third in the country. I'm looking at in the AP poll his junior year, and he was a starter on the national champs his senior year. So I think it's... I mean, he didn't didn't become the type of player that we expected. But to, I don't think you can call a, winning a national title and being a starter a failure at the next level. No, but when you're, I just look. You know, do you know what his career average was at Duke? Oh, geez, yeah, low single digits, probably. Yeah. Four four point four point uh, yeah. four point five points per game. I remember people talking like that, and he just didn't. He didn't shoot though. It wasn't like he was. Bad. Well, I, but you got. I mean, for John Dockery got some serious major hype. Oh, and he was a huge scorer. He was up like huge, forty a game. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was a. I mean, if his season was going on right now or his career, I, well, kind of indicative of what we're going through, and you know, overall in high school basketball again. But I mean, geez, and then he went and did. I mean, I don't know. I I just I I get what he's saying. But I just I, I I'm not saying I forecasted what he would do in college to, to this degree, but it didn't shock me that he didn't have a huge college career. Because again, I just was not as big a Sean Dockery fan as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, he went there and he played his role, and he won a national title. And JJ Redick scored 27 points a game. Well, Bobby Frazier won a national title, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, why? Well, just. Their their college careers, stat-wise, everything. Yeah. Both about four points a game. (laughs) Both highly regarded ranked players. But they were both point guards on really good teams, and they didn't score a ton. I mean, I I guess I just don't consider that a failure. No, but Sean, 
the the expectation was not a four point per game guy. Oh, I know. And, the, and there and there's there's plenty of point guards who, who scored score. double digits. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you know the, the difference is Bobby Frazier started every game as a freshman and Sean Dockery yeah. didn't. And by the time Bobby Frazier he played in in every game and was a solid contributor, but I don't think he started hardly at all his senior year. Um, where Dockery was kind of reversed. And I think that's part of the that was part of the storyline with Dockery. People around here were so frustrated by those first two years of him not playing that did this kind of this storyline, this belief was already firmly in place before Dockery's last two years when he won so much and played that it, you're never going to get rid of it. Um, there's still a lot of anger, as you can see, about how it went for Dockery <laughs> at Duke. Um, interesting topic, and it is something people still talk about <laughs> 20 years later at this point. Um, and yeah, I also agree with Joe, too, about... To me, Dockery, in a high school, wasn't a for-sure NBA kid. You know what I mean? I-, I thought he was a very good player, but I also agree with that little snippet you said there about... Not that I didn't like him, but he was, I, I should say, low efficiency. <laughs> Um, in high school as a, uh, as a player. Anyway, last question. Brian Williams says, um, with the Chicago public league matchup slowing down this week, who are some guys you'll put on your watch list for the lawless player of the year? We got lawless talk, Joe. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I I, I have a complaint about Chicago Catholic league. Yeah. I feel like Couple I know what things. this is going to be. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's multiple levels here. One, of all the history of high school basketball, conference championships or regular season championships don't really matter a ton. Old Sika East, yeah, I'll give you that. HF, Bloom, Thornwood, Thornridge, Thornton, big deal. Chicago Public League champion is huge. Chicago Catholic League champion has had a little bit of mystique over the it's got a history to it, and the award is means a lot to that league. Now there's, you know, there's two winners. Yeah, there's one for the blue and one for the white. That's what I thought you were going to talk about. It's stupid. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah, that's stupid. Yes. Not only that, it's stupid that there's not one Catholic League champion. Yes. Right, come on, Catholic League, figure this out. At the at the very least, you can have two divisions. Fine. At the very least. Have a crossover thing. Yeah, have a one Catholic League championship. You, you've been you, you've had it for years. It's 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 cool. That's one of the cool things about your league. And, and you just discard it, and now you're going to have two winners and two lawless winners and two. Come on, that's uh, that's just stupid. I mean, I think the way what would be said is that the blue champion is the champion. What this year? Yeah. Because the white oh. is just, it's the small schools and the ones Who that cares? haven't been as good. I'm, but I'm just saying that. They I got think, Rita, St. Mel, Leo. I mean, they've yeah. all been ranked at some point. But that's what they're thinking, is that the blue is the blue, and who wins that? Well, they're, they're fucking stupid. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've talked to enough coaches in that league that they don't like it. So it's the administrators that are making those decisions. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's just it's dumb. Yeah, I agree. So, <laughs> I mean, you look at the Catholic League blue. Player, I mean, Fred Cleveland won the the white small school player of the year last year. I don't know if he'll win it again because I mean, Rita's going to win that league. 
the blue will be interesting. I mean, I think it's going to be Marquise Kennedy, a no-brainer. Um, DePaul might win the league. Perry Cowan could, you know. But I think Marquise Kennedy is clearly the guy um, to win the, the award in the blue. Yeah, I think Kennedy's been the best and deserves it. I wonder if there's going to be some sentiment. Perry Cowan will be a four-year starter, four years in the Catholic League as a starter if they win the blue. I could see him getting it for that reason, personally. Um, Jeremiah Williams should be mentioned. They got a chance to win, and he's put together a great year. Just a junior, though. Um, and the white, yeah, you know, got Josh Reddick had a really great season for Mount Carmel. St. Rita, I feel like they just don't have – they've been really balanced. Yeah, they don't have the guy. Yeah. And same with Providence St. Mel. Um I think Fred Cleveland's the runaway winner there, um, for sure. So he's going to be a two-time winner. Yeah. Yeah, dumb. All right. Sorry, Catholic League. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy! Everybody, <laughs> it's got to put it. Was every question we got almost CPS too? Yeah, there are no suburban questions this week. It's, it's, I guess is what the listeners want. Hey, you guys, if you want to hear me talk about, um, and I got all kinds of things to say about TF South or Thornwood, but we have no questions, so that's just the way. It's we'll go to our it. two takes. I got a little <laughs> suburb talk. Let's go, Joe. Tell me about the suburbs. All right, first take. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams out there, Mike, who, who, you and I both have seen them, whether it be in Christmas tournaments or shootouts or. And maybe they're not in the rankings, and but you, you, you watch and you're like, okay, hey, you know, the nice team, uh, they might be able to beat somebody. You know, um, this is a team that hasn't been ranked all year long. It, it's coming along nicely, and uh, that's Naperville North. Naperville North, I, I've seen them a lot here. They, they've played some some good games of late too. They played Marion Catholic. Uh, they had a big game against Wabanti Valley on Friday. They um, they played my when sides collide shootout against Bennett, and they're they're twelve and nine, which the record doesn't jump out at you at all. They're in first place in the DuPage Valley Conference, which isn't a real tough league this year. But three of those losses came without Tom Welch, and anybody who's seen Naperville North knows how important Tom Welch is to that team. Six foot eight, do it all type, versatile, athletic, uh, going to Loyola, one of the top, you know, half dozen prospects in Illinois. He's a superstar soccer player, national player of the year in soccer. So. A lot has been made of Tom Welch. But after having seen Naperville North play at Thanksgiving and seeing them play a couple times this past couple weeks, it's one of the most improved teams I've seen all year long. It, I, I, I was in – I think I even joked with Gino and the, the new coach who had a great run at Maris. I joked with him when I saw him and I said, man, I just remember seeing you at Thanksgiving and thinking, oh, gosh, this, <laughs> this might be a rough year. And <laughs> – you know, they, they have played some good teams tough. They've, uh, you know, they, like I said, they beat Wabansi Valley, which was 18-2 and two in, a, in a huge game for them. Uh, and, and they were beating Bennett. I mean, they they were up four in the fourth quarter. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got their obstacles that they're going to have to overcome. They, they don't have a great ball handling. Uh, pressure will give them some fits. But with Welch and, I mean, Gene Nolan's one of the better coaches you'll, you'll find in the state of Illinois. Uh, and, you know, they, they played RB tough in a five-point loss. They've, they lost to Geneva and Jack McDonough. I was at that game. They had them beaten overtime up three and 
Jack McDonald took over, as he seems to always do. So they are a team I would not want to, you know, if they're you're not a top three or four seed in that sectional, which I think it's a Bartlett, you know, Geneva will be a high seed, Bennett will be a high seed. And anyway, if I'm if I'm a Neighborville North, I'm a, I I like my chances of, of pulling off an upset if the if the matchup is right and they're a team I would not want to face and play uh, going forward because I just think they've gotten better and better and better. They've just they're missing that one kind of marquee win that puts them over the top. But they've done a great job. Gene Nolan's done a great job of, of kind of developing his first year, this group, from where they were in November to where they are in January. And, I mean, the Wabonzi Valley games are a perfect example. They lost by 13 to Wabonzi Valley. Was that without Welch? That was without Welch, yeah. yeah. And now they're beating them. But, yeah, if you look at their schedule, you can see how, you know, we talk about that all the time, how strength of schedule matters. And not just – to get ranked or whatever, but just to get better as a team. This team has played, just real quick, uh, Naperville North has played Downers Grove South, Oswego East, Oswego, Wabonzi Valley, um, Riverside Brookfield, Batavia, Prosser, Geneva, Marion Catholic, Wabonzi again, and Bennett. I mean, that is a that is an excellent schedule to kind of get and, you. Right, and Lincoln Park this weekend. Yeah, so I mean, that's definitely... Um, Exciting to see them get better, and it makes sense, you know. A new coach takes a little while sometimes to get going. And my first take is gonna be on Marquise Jacobs, who uh, out for the season. He um, it was only a partial. You know, there's a lot of stuff going around about if he tore his ACL, if he just if he didn't. It's just a partial tear, so it's gonna be six to eight weeks, I believe. He he said he had Derek Rose's surgeon. This week is going to do the surgery, the same guy. So, you know, I just wanted to wish best wishes to Marquise Jacobs for this recovery. It's going to be six to eight months. His high school career is over. And we're probably not going to talk about him again on a podcast, you know, for, for a long time. So I feel like we, we needed to kind of note this. I mean, he just ended his... I think it's important to note that Marquise Jacobs delivered. And there's been he's been a controversial player over his four years for whatever reason. Some people just never got on board. There's always a lot of people on his case on the website in the comments, um, which I've never really understood. I've kind of been a Marquise Jacobs guy, and he, he just closed so strong. I think two 40-point games to end it. Tyrone Slaughter, and I got some quotes I didn't transcribe, but was talking after they beat Orr about just how great he was in that young game against them. He, you know, Tyrone was talking about how that's the best he's ever seen. Marquise Jacobs play in high school, and it was just a, such a special performance. And, you know, this is a guy who goes and plays the best players around the country, you know, every single week, basically, and sees so many great players. And, you know, he took a moment in the middle of talking about the Orr game to tell me just how great Mar- that he thought Marquise Jacobs was in that game that I was at. You know, I also saw Marquise Jacobs single-handedly beat Lincoln Park in overtime, the most dominant stretch I've seen a player have all season. What he did in the fourth quarter in overtime of that game was just really special. And uh, he, he just was just having a really special season. It's a shame that it's got to end this way, and he doesn't get to have a um, city tournament and state tournament run. He um, was in good spirits about it. He, he took it rough. Some of you might have seen his initial Twitter post that he took down where he was pretty upset. But when I talked to him before the Or Young game. He was at that game watching. And uh, he said, you know, he talked to some people, and he realized that all in all, 
it could have been so much worse that he did get to play the majority of his senior season, which is true, especially for a public league player. You know, he's just missing the playoffs now and it's not completely torn. So he said, you know, just those two things could have been so much worse if it had been a month ago and completely torn. So he had, had kind of changed his outlook a little bit and he's looking forward to DePaul. And I, I just think it should be noted that Marquise Jacobs could have gone either way. I think a lot of us thought sophomore year and a lot of people talked about, oh, this Kansas commit and he's not that and this and that. And I think he turned out to be possibly as good as he could have been senior year. And I think he deserves some credit for that. I think the the thing that this this was kind of <laughs> this is the negative now coming back of, of how he was feeling positive, but now that I'm trying to sound to make it worse, is that the fact that he was playing such a high level and he kind of put himself in a position where, you know, it would have been a, it's a stretch, I think, to say the uplift definitely to win the city is a major stretch. I mean, but to, you know, have a, a shining moment in the city playoffs where they maybe upset a team. And he goes for 35 and then goes and plays in a quarterfinal game or a semifinal game. And, you know, my point is there was still like so much for them left in the season and for, for uplift too. Cause you know, in, in, in their road, they have the pathway they have in March is, is it's, it's doable. So yeah. he could have really kind of really lifted up his, his, his rep even more. And that, that's too bad that it, that's not going to happen or have a chance to do it. Uh, my second take is non-player, non-team related. It's it's uh, anybody who is familiar with with trying to keep track of schedules of high school basketball standings and results. Uh, anybody who's into that, like two people doing this podcast, are and rely on it heavily. Uh, you you've been to the website uh, hsbball.com and Jack Gleason is his name. He he puts this together, and it is something that is so undervalued, I think, by too many people, people like us, because obviously the newspaper industry is is changed forever, and it comes to prep sports, uh, high school basketball still covered pretty well. And but the manpower is not there to, or the space in the paper to put. I, mean, I saw people ask me, Joe, why come there's no scores in the paper every Saturday morning? And the only place to get it in the entire Chicago area of every single, and I mean every single team and every single conference, which is an enormous task, is to go to hsbball.com, and that's Jack Gleason's website. And I, I just wanted to kind of mention him and the job he's done and how valued it is and what a time-consuming effort it is to put that together but what a benefit it is for high school basketball and especially those people who you know it's the only place you can go find conference standings and 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 to kind of figure out what games are big and and to look a week ahead and where you want to go and uh, i know mike and myself we 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 it's hard to imagine doing what we do without that website and without the work Jack Gleason puts in. So I just wanted to make mention of that. On my computer screen, as Joe began his uh, take, was Jack Gleason's website <laughs> with his standings. Because um, I pretty much have it open throughout the entirety of the podcast. Yeah, right. And so do I, yeah, and, and 
yeah, I, I, it's just a. I would hate to to have it ever go away <laughs> because it was it would be detrimental to even the stories that we write and some of the research we do. And I mean, it's just so valuable to have and to make the high school game interesting when there's so many things that have been taken away from the game and the sport over the years. This is one thing that enhances it. And in, in the same uh, token that it helps myself create some of the stories that I do based on what is on that website. Yeah. And should also mention that, you know, whenever a coach gets hired or fired or dies or whatever, and you see the um, career record, that's all from Jack. I'll usually send Jack a text and be like, oh, you know, I need this guy's career stats. And he comes through with all that. He's got records going back for a good while now on that stuff. Because otherwise, there'd be nowhere to get it. The IHSA site is littered with omissions and errors and just nothing sometimes. And Jack's got all that stuff. Even a lot of times uh, a coach will get hired at a new school. And he will ask me where he can find his school's history, the, la- the records for the last 30 years and what they went on because his school doesn't have it that he just arrived at. And I'll be like, well, you can email Jack. <laughs> He's probably yeah, got and, it. And yeah. I mean, the Sun-Times from for years, if you remember, well, you remember, but I mean, the listeners remember, uh, would have a page or a, a half a page, whatever it might be, with updated standings. And, you know, back when I did – I've been doing this forever. So at the end of the year, and I'm glad I did this, at the end of the year, there will always be a final regular season standings of every conference in Chicago. And we usually have a half page or a full page and sometimes. I cut it from from the year 2000 on. I would cut that sheet out. I still have them. So for every year from 2000 through when they quit doing that, 13, 14 maybe? Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, So I have every one from 2000 through 2013. And then I got jacks from – 2013 on so fortunately i've got every final at least i was going to add up the state tournament scores but at least i have their records but yeah i mean it's just a valuable tool and and a resource that that i think is just kind of underappreciated and overlooked those sometimes ones you have yeah i got everyone from they're they're also from jack wow we he used to fax it over and we would type it in <laughs> to the newspaper. <laughs> FYI, that started before me, so I'm not sure when that started. But I, I was there in from like 2001 or two on, and so yeah, even yeah. those are from Jack. So yeah, yeah, thanks, it's Jack. Okay. Yep. Uh, my second take here. Publicly, let's talk a little CPS hoops, huh? Um, <laughs> it's a. Uh, well, God, what was the date here? Let me look here. Morgan Park. Uh, it's on Morgan Park because what we saw at the Battle of Vincennes. You know, one of the biggest games of the year was very notable. Let's see. It was December 4th where um, Morgan Park beat Bogan 85 to 77. You know, Bogan's been number two for a long time. A lot of people seem to have forgotten that Morgan Park win. And Bogan was up by like 17 in the third quarter and then totally collapsed. It was quite a game. And after the game, Arthur Goodwin, the Bogan coach, referred to Morgan Park as Adam Miller and the four blind mice. Quarter of the year, by the yes. way. Which Goody, he is a lot. I don't. I mean, a lot of you guys. No, I probably don't. I don't wait around for the losing coach an awful lot. Um, I got deadline issues, and usually they have nothing interesting to say or don't want to talk, and it's just not worth it. I wait no matter what <laughs> for Arthur Goodwin. I've waited an hour <laughs> before for Arthur Goodwin because it's always worth it, and he always comes up with gems like that. The year before, 
let's just say he was very unimpressed with Adam Miller the year before. <laughs> now this year it became Adam Miller and the four blind mice. And I think a lot of people, uh, Goody said what a lot of people were thinking at that point. And in a lot of ways it was how they were playing. And that has done a complete 180. And that is why Morgan Park is so terrifying now. Initially, basically this group of three players, Deshondre Washington, a 6'5 guard, Kyle Grover, who's, I can get a 6'6", 6'7", you know, kind of slasher, wing guy, and Carl Jones, a 6'9", big, have just improved tremendously over the course of the season. They are major factors now. They're cutting into the playing time of some of the guards, and they have just taken Morgan Park to another level. You know, I, not so much college prospects, maybe Deshondre Washington a little bit more than some of the others, but Carl Jones is exactly what you want in a high school big. You give him that ball in the post and he is going to dunk it. He's going to block shots and he's going to rebound his butt off for you. And having these three guys to go along with that Marcus Watson, Adam Miller dynamic backcourt, Morgan Park is living up to any preseason hype they had. They look really scary right now. They've won 18 games in a row. It is all firing for them. They made what I think is a good Simeon team, you know, regardless of record or whatever you want to say, they just dominated them in their own gym. At no point did it look like Simeon was going to be able to do anything in that game. And Morgan Park is for real. They are the clear 3A favorites at this point. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them win the city. This team is definitely firing all cylinders. Look out, Morgan Park. That's my take. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's all going to be Morgan Park, Bogan, when it comes to March, you know, in 3A. And where is that sectional? That's St. Lawrence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what's scary about this. They beat them when they weren't playing well. Yeah. I'm just saying. I just saying. There's a big drop. I think. I mean, I know the St. Lawrence people are going to be riled up when I say Morgan Park and Bogan, and then everybody else. But and St. Lawrence is going to be formidable, especially in their own gym. I believe that. But on paper, I mean, it's 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 like one A and then one B and then everybody else. And I just think I agree with you. I mean, they won two state titles in a row. Yeah. Uh, so it's not going to be a shocker if they win another one. But it, it, it goes to show, too, just what 3A basketball has become. I, I, oh, boy. I, yeah, I'm I, looking I, at the rankings now. I guess the other 3A teams that are ranked, oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. DePaul Prep. Which, I, I mean, I, they're, they're rock solid. Kankakee. That's I, it. I, yeah. So, Anyway, my point is, it's just Morgan Park has just been at a different level than anybody in Class 3A. And, you know, we'll randomly get a downstate team or a Central Illinois team that's really good. But I, I don't know if there's that team this year that is going to challenge Morgan Park in 3A. No, and I, and I think they might be the best team right now. I almost moved them to number two. This week. Yeah, I just that's this is why you know again it's a four class debate and the four class whining. It's just you just wish that they had an opportunity to, to you know I know they'll play but not they're not playing Belleville West you know so uh, which is the best team in Illinois and it's just uh, it's the, it's the four class thing it's just it's one thing that we just are never going to get past but that leads us into some publicly talk 
Uh, Thank goodness. Jeez, it's been a while. <laughs> no, but and yeah, and, and to kind of put it what Mike said at the opening, the down and, and somebody will read. Uh, I got my three point my, my three pointer column will be in the paper and online here. Uh, you know, the next well, by the time you've listened to this podcast, and in, in my one that I talked about, it, it talked about seven public league teams that had a combined record of 33-2 and two against Chicago area teams that aren't public league. That's Catholic league and suburban teams. And beating some highly ranked quality suburban and Catholic league teams. 33-2. and two. And now Mike went ahead and did a, some numbers on his own without me. We didn't know he were even this is kind of why we we're doing this topic right now because we came up with this and we were both kind of doing the same kind of homework and research in a different ways. And he, you, you did a, what was it? All, all of the ranked rank? teams from the yeah. CPS. There's nine. So you, you, basically you're just adding Lynn Bloom and Lincoln park. Lynn Bloom was nine and two against non CPS teams. They've beaten Kankakee is the best win. The losses are to Marion Catholic and stag stag was very first game of the year though. I think they didn't have everybody. Lincoln Park is just five and three, um, but the losses are to St. Rita, HF, and Lake Forest, and I think there's consolation action in there, um, which is disgusting, and who cares? And they got five uh, wins. You, there's no one who hates consolation more than you. Oh, it, it's trash. Boy, I, I didn't ever write my story with the quotes. Oh, I've been collecting quotes from kids about I've got it all kind of saved. All the players hate it. <laughs> they all agree with me. If you think it's important, fans sitting there and the coach is screaming and it looks like a normal game, trust me. <laughs> I'm talking to the players and what's going through their head, oh boy. They'd much rather be playing Fortnite. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, anyway, um, so if you do all the ranked teams, it's 47-7 and seven, um, against the suburbs or Catholic League. It's just, it's utter dominance. And I think if you remove the consolation, you know, it's like... It's literally there's been a handful of wins, and we're not talking about these aren't the power. You, this isn't you know your Curie Young Morgan Park. We've dragged Farragut and Lindblom into this, people. <laughs> I mean, you know how many transfers Farragut has? Well, and, none. And, and they're playing freshmen and sophomores. And the the wins. I mean, the list I accumulated: two wins over Bolingbroke, beating Leo, beating Bloom. Beating New Trier, uh, Proviso East three times, uh, DePaul Prep, Homewood Flossmoor. Uh, there, you know the Bolingbrook, Riverside Brookfield. Yeah, the, the two wins that I that I came up with, the two big ones, Oak Park beat Orr, and Bloom beat Morgan Park, both in December. You know, and, and we move on into later in December. You've got a public league final in Proviso West, which is a, it's a public league dominated type tournament yeah. and but again i mean it's bogan and young uh curie won the pontiac holiday tournament morgan park walked its way through the dipper even kenwood uh made it to the final at at um state farm classic in bloomington where they lost i think that was an overtime at the buzzer or something so uh it you know the, the reason why I find it interesting and intriguing is because of everything I've kind of preached for three months isn't true. And that's that, okay, and, and that's what I wrote about is this was supposed to be the year where you could you could get at these public league teams. You know, Simeon is probably the 
you know, worst record they've had under Rob Smith by far. Worst record, and 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 even talent wise, they're, they're talented, but they're young, so they're they're just not ready right now. Uh, I mean, that was the time to get a Morgan Park. You lose Isla Desumu, you lose Burrell, you lose. I mean, they lost some talent, man, and here they are. Uh, you know, I think Bogan is is probably as good as Bogan's ever been. You know, young. Was preseason number one? Yes. I mean, even Curie. I mean, all these teams. This isn't the the dominating Cliff Alexander Curie team. This isn't even their. I don't think this is as good a team as their state championship team. Uh, so I, I just you know, this or they're not as good as last year. I, I I just I don't know why. I mean, is it just a matter of everybody else is that far below what we are accustomed to? in the suburbs or Catholic league or I, I don't know the answer to be honest, what, why there's particularly this year when I don't, yes, they are the best teams in the state of Illinois right now and they are dominating, but I still don't find any of those teams particularly jaw dropping when I watch them. I, I, in comparison to their best teams in other years of those very same schools, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know I do. And this was a year where I had personally pointed towards this changing. You know, I thought initially that two years ago, even that Waukegan with, you know, their group of all seniors, talented kids that have been playing together for a long time was going to be able to go against these, as Joe just described, weekend public league teams. DePaul Prep, you know, they're another team that I had kind of earmarked as possibly able to do this. Um, Evanston, Another one, which they have, they haven't played one yet. They've they beat Uplift, I think. That might be their only. And Bloom was another one. And, and Bloom I... is the other one, and they did beat Morgan Park, and right. then lost to um, Curie badly. So they they did get one. So there was this group of. Yeah, you know, Uplift Uplift lost to Evanston yeah. back in December, and I think that's the only team Evanston's played. Yes, it is in the CPS. So maybe we'll see. You know, that's a high level team that hasn't had a shot yet. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's just complete dominance. And I think if, when, when I'm talking about Lynn Blooms and Farragut's and a completely retooled or, you know, and all, it, it's just, yeah, it, it's a bit stunning that it's that dominant. I mean, it's totally stunning. It's that dominant. I mean, you should be able to, there should be double digit wins in there for the Catholic league and suburbs. Right. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, again, just based on, especially your, your your forecast of the season when the season began. Yes. I mean, there, there's, you know, you look at the, but Mike, you look at the player rankings. I mean, it's not like it's dominated by public league players. No. I mean, I mean, there's our fair share of Marquise Jacobs and Bijuan Gordon, Tawante Williams and uh, Antonio Reeves. But I mean, there are plenty of, you know, some of those suburban top players are playing on teams that aren't, you know, it's just kind of a one-man show, I will say. But again, I, I don't, I don't. I'm trying to look now at my 2020 rankings. You know, the juniors, and I mean, if you look at the city in the public league in 2020, and other than those top three of Adam Miller, DJ Stewart, and Tyler Beard, I mean, look at the next group of guys: Martise Mitchell, Isaiah Rivera, Keyshawn Williams, Aaron Eulis, Jeremiah Williams. Um, you know, some guys downstate, 
it's not a, I don't know. It's just a weird deal where it's a mixture of high school basketball. I will say though, Mike, it, I think high school basketball is as down as, as it's as it's ever been as a whole. You know, we take it for what it's worth, and we we've got our good teams in this particular year, but the suburb the suburban teams, it's just not at a high level. I mean, and that's just that's just fact, and. I guess that's the reason why the, the, the domination exists. Yeah, we'll see how this plays out in the um, state playoffs here. I, I don't know. It, it's hard to be. Well, and I wrote about that you can get uh, yeah. uh, multiple teams in, was it 3A or 2A? To Peoria. 2A. Like 2A. 2A, I think. I mean, there's going to be two 2A two-way schools in Peoria. I don't forget who they are. Was it um, or and who? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, and then obviously two in the public league. I, mean, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. They, yeah. I, gonna, the people are already tired of the public league. I get it. They really are. And, and I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily like it. I mean, I, that's great for the public league, but I like to see balance. I like to see parity. I like to see, you know, some surefire suburban teams that, you know what, they're as good and they will beat any public league team that, that they play. But well, the, the, we're still waiting. I mean, it makes high school basketball better. It, there's it, no question that the best game of the year for me, as far as feel-wise, everybody excited, was that Bloom Morgan Park at Team Rose. Yeah, that was probably the best game I've seen all year. I mean, everybody wanted to see that. You know, it was it was the thing. I mean, I mean, I was so optimistic about some of these suburban teams because I thought the the city was down. I thought it, like Oswego East on a good day might be able to handle, you know, Saint Viator. Ex- oh yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, that's another one that I thought was going to be right there. You know, top ten battling with these CPS teams. But here we go. I got I got Lincoln Park at number eight, which could be higher. I didn't see that coming, <laughs> you know, in any way. Yeah, it's just been, it, it's been a, a real shock to me. And, and it's clear there are teams not in these rankings that are better than, and their records are horrible. Um, but so I'm, they're not in the rankings, but I go to the games and I watch them and they're better than some low ranked teams I have in the suburbs. And it's like, geez, I mean, what do you, I, I'm starting to wonder if the super conference has elevated their level of play. It, yeah, it, it I, has something to do with it because it's. I, I I just think it's a phenomenon of of something I haven't seen in suburban basketball. I mean, I, I I've talked about this in recent years, and it's hit and miss year to year. But uh, it's just I just look at the individual talent, and it's just not there, Mike. I mean, and and, and to beat those publicly teams. You got to have some guys, and they're not out there, you know. Um, I they have the guys to beat Lynn Bloom and Farragut in Lincoln Park. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, not even talking about Young and Curie. <laughs> but who are, are Lynn Bloom's wins against? They've beaten Kankakee. Well, okay. Kankakee just popped in the rankings for the first time all year, they, right? Yeah, but they could have been any point in the last two months. They've been bubbling right there. They. They've been putting together a good season. I mean, Lindblom lost to Marion Catholic by six points, I think, early in the year. 
um, this is a white division team playing with one of the no doubt ten best teams in the area. I mean that yeah. that's crazy. But again, I, I and I'm, I'm not picking on Farragut here, but I'm looking at if you in a normal year if you looked at Farragut's win, you're like, wow, they beat Thornton and they beat Proviso East and they beat Thornwood and they, you know what I mean? But those teams just aren't. They're a shell of, you know, when those programs. Oh yeah, they are great. Yes, no doubt so, about it. That's that's what I mean. I just there's there's just so many teams that, you know, over the over the course of history, we've always got a nucleus of suburban teams that are always always good, right? Yes, always good. And then you'd always have a cycle of of, of certain particular teams that would pop up here and there. And, you know, right now, like Geneva the last few years, they've had a great run. Um, uh, the great Stevenson teams, right? you know, here and there, Glenshire, Glenburg North, those would pop up. But, I mean, the, the, the core group. powerhouse teams yeah. aren't any good in the suburbs yeah. anymore. The, the core group is what? West Aurora, Thornton, Proviso East, St. Joseph. Evanston. Evanston, there's, sure. They remain good. Um, yeah, I mean, Oak Park is, is – I expected them to be really good this year, really good, and and they another had... good call. Yeah, exactly. They, so yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I just think it's just a a bad year, and the public league, which is down, is still talented enough to take it. It's been reversed. <laughs> They've taken advantage of yeah. a weak <laughs> suburbs instead of the suburbs taking advantage of a a weak city. So anyway, we promise more suburban talk next week in the podcast. It'll have to be because not a lot of uh, CPS teams play. Oh yeah, although, <laughs> although we will have a city tournament preview <laughs> in the, uh, <laughs> next week because that's going to be a big deal. But uh, all right, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, oh no, you know what? Let's do a real quick um, look ahead. I did write it down. Hold on. Sorry. Week slate of games. This yeah. Week. It, it, with the weather, we might not even get our week slate of games, frankly. Right. That's a, another problem. But there is a nice shootout at East Aurora that I will be at, hopefully. Um, but let's see. Tuesday, St. Charles North in Geneva. Carmel St. Viator. Carmel's on the rise. Yeah, that, that Kamara Wilson is back and playing well. And uh, they're, they're pushing their way towards the top of that East Suburban Catholic Conference. And Viator, obviously, is... Is, is playing well without Trey Calvin. That's, that's going to be a really a big game in that, in that conference. Evanston at Loyola, big one. Moved the time to 6 o'clock. And then we got the Porters at the Steelman. I've not been to my uh, home gym this year. I might say forget all these ranked teams and try to invigorate myself tomorrow night at the barn. We'll see. Uh, Maine South, Notre Dame. Um, Niles North. Uh or sorry, Naperville North, Plainfield North. That should be a real good one. And Rolling Meadows Deerfield. Not sure if Max Christie's going to be back yet. Um, if he is, that could be a fun game. Wednesday. Back from, back from Duke or back from injury? Back from injury. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming he's back from Duke. Right. He's no longer lunching with John Shire or uh, whatever happens on uh, one of those visits. Uh, Wednesday. Oh, oh, how about this for a lawless showdown, Joe? To Paul Prep at Brother Rice. There we go. Winner gets the award. <laughs> That's the lawless showdown. I like it. Good um, luck, Keys. Good luck, Perry. And this is a fun matchup. St. Viator at Peyton. St. Viator has played a fun schedule, huh? They have. Um, that'll be a fun game. Uh, Thursday, really thin. But we do have Oswego East at Plainfield North. 
if you haven't noticed, I think Plainfield North's kind of decent. <laughs> they don't have a great record or anything. And um, Dunbar's at Clark. Clark's a decent team, and Dunbar, we've seen what they've done all season. Friday, the weakest Friday of the season, most likely. Agreed. Loyola at St. Lawrence. Leo at Mount Carmel. Glenbrook South at New Trier. St. Charles East at Geneva. Uh, Naperville North, Naperville Central. Just a fun little rivalry game. And I, I'm a little intrigued by this Fox Valley clash. Cary Grove against Dundee Crown. I like Cary Grove. They were fun to watch. And then Lindblom is at Oaklawn, which is a little fun one that I'm also intrigued by. Saturday, also pretty thin. East Aurora, though, it should be fun. It's um Lincoln Park against Naperville North. East Aurora Lions. Geneva, Aurora Christian. And York versus Oswego East. I am really interested in what goes on at O'Fallon. Simeon, Belleville West. I, I Belleville West is, I, I mean, they're the defending state champs, best player in the, in, in the state. I, I think it's just a great, great measuring stick coming off that win at Boingbrook, or over Boingbrook for Simeon. You know, I, I don't expect Simeon to, to beat Belleville West in their backyard, uh, but... I mean, if they come out of there, Mike, and play them really tough, I mean, I don't know. That, that's I um I got Belleville West by fifteen. All right. I mean, that's what I expect too. I'm just saying, if Seaman goes down there and plays well, um, I, I think that's going to really, really create a. I just got people texting me and and tweeting to me. Why do I feel like Simeon just laying in the weeds, <laughs> just gonna rise from the ashes and make a run? I mean, I, I made the comment on Twitter or in my story somewhere: best twelve loss team in state history. Granted, there's not very many good twelve loss teams in in our history, uh, but I mean, it's got to be. I mean, uh, anybody who saw them play Bolingbroke would say, okay, that's a pretty good team with twelve losses. So. And uh, we'll Young plays Iowa City West, I believe, at the yep. O'Fallon thing. Yeah. Um, locally, we got allegedly a Curie North Lawndale game, but we'll see if that happens. There's no time. I'm not too sure. De La Salle is at Kenwood. Downers Grove North, Plainfield North. And this is probably the best local game. Evanston's at Oak Park. So a big week for Evanston. Some interesting games. Willowbrook is at Leiden. Leiden has a high-scoring junior named Ocean Johnson. We have not talked about. He's uh, a senior. That I would, yeah, that I would like to get out and see. Um, but yeah, and Sunday I have not looked yet, but I don't think there's a whole lot happening. But that is our week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week. Mm-hmm.